You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here in Keep Canada Weird, my pal Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore some of the more offbeat Canadian news stories from the past week. In tonight's episode, which we recorded on Devil's Night, October 30th, 2022, Aaron and I get caught up on some of the weird Canadian going-ons that have been playing out while we had our heads in the cemetery. Our discussion will feature the unfortunate death of an incredible deer in PEI. We'll discuss the near-sentient robots that are caring for our elderly in Quebec. We're going to talk about the Chinese police stations appearing in Canada. And then the theft of the patio furniture in Vancouver. So let's get into it. Handsome Aaron Airport. It is Sunday night, the 30th of October. We're about 500 kilometers away from each other, but that's yeah. not going to stop us from celebrating the weird and wonderful things that have been happening over the past week. But before we do, how are you tonight, my friend? I am good. Thanks for asking. Uh, like you say, we're 500 kilometers away physically, but our hearts are connected. Or at least in the same room, like kind of like we're at the same desk. No, they're connected. They're they're woven together. Two have become one, as the Spice Girls have once sung about in wow. the 90s. <laughs> well, then, um, that's your take on it. I, I, beg I hope it's it. our take, but okay. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Uh, how have you been? No, good, good, good. Just uh, getting geared up for the big day tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Got all my treat bags all packed and ready to go to give to the possibly three to four children I will have at uh, at my door tomorrow night. But we'll see. We'll mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see too. I'm, I'm excited for it. We had a last minute costume change for my four year old. Uh, he ha he's already had a pizza costume where he dresses as a big slice of pizza and very excited about being a pizza. Mm. But the issue we're running into is tomorrow at school, like they can wear their costumes to school. And his pizza costume is like, he's a big pizza slice with there's foam and everything. And it's not the kind of costume you can like sit in all day. So Not a uh, practical uh, sitting in a desk costume. No. So last minute change. And now my two kids are both going as characters from the Harry Potter universe. One is Harry Potter. What's the other character? The other is just a generic student from the same like squad that Harry Potter's in. Oh, does it have a name? It's or... Gryffindorf or something. Okay, just a just a friend of Harry's. A classmate, yeah. Okay, a classmate, not friends. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, they like hey, just, they, a, they, just an acquaintance. They hang out, but just not like outside of school. I guess is kind of the relationship. Okay. Um. um other, okay. Yeah, sure. Other than your preparations, getting geared up for tomorrow night, have you had any interesting things happen? Did any like did you burn something when cooking? Like any interesting stories about the last week, or has it just literally been like you got your Halloween stuff and then you just sat there waiting now for Halloween? Yeah, Day. yeah. I got you know the Halloween treat bags made up, and we watched uh, watched uh, Ghostbusters mm -hmm. to get in the mood. Okay. Yeah, that's well, that's fair. I uh, the only thing I had going on, and this is kind of interesting, so I should bring it up. People who follow the show likely know the story of the rift between me and the man responsible for the glove guy stories. Um, I did a two episodes about the Halifax glove guy, which is the man in Halifax who for years has been offering people drives home from downtown late at night only to get them in the car and kind of proposition them to try on leather gloves that he's very passionate about. And he's been um, accused of being kind of maybe having a leather glove fetish. Uh, but it, at least in one incident, the, these weird drives home have resulted in criminal charges against him for, I believe it was indecent exposure. Anyway, when I did the story about him and two episode series about him, he got quote-unquote revenge on me by registering the name The Nighttime Podcast as a company that he owns in a Nova Scotia government directory and using that listing as a way to, 
I don't know, tell people that he owns the nighttime podcast. Uh, for, I, I don't understand what the end game of all that was, but that is something that he has done. And I have been trying to get the Nova Scotia government to remove this listing because I have the trademark for the name nighttime podcast. And uh, anyway, it's the, it's this long, crazy thing. The reason I bring this up is there's been a development. I've recently learned how to use the FOIPOP system, like the Freedom of Information Act request. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did a FOIPOP request for any time the government said my name or the nighttime podcast in relation to this registry listing uh, since this whole thing happened. And I got 120 pages of emails <laughs> and internal communications, including an email between the premier and the minister who's in charge of service Nova Scotia, which is yeah. the provincial, the government section that houses this database. Uh, the whole thing is amazing. I'm planning to do something with it because there's a lot of tidbits in there that are interesting. Just hearing the government try to deal with uh, an alleged like glove fetishist uh, getting revenge on like a podcaster. The people yeah. in the emails back and forth, they are every single time they're like, this is completely insane. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but CBC was covering it and stuff. So they had no choice but to pay attention and try to like, reason with everybody mm -hmm. in this it, it's almost like reading like a kids in the hall sketch or something like it's just so insane but wow anyway that's uh that's occupied a lot of my week um but a story for another day and i'm glad to not talk about it anymore tonight because again we have a mandate here passed down to us not by the provincial but by the federal government directly from queen romana digilo that yeah. we are by any means necessary required to keep canada weird we're going to we do it. we are legally required by the queen to do this mm -hmm. and we respect the queen on this show so therefore mm -hmm. we're going to do our best to keep canada weird mm -hmm. before i introduce the stories though i got a bit of bad news for you for me uh, personally uh well i guess for both of us and the listeners of the show uh, okay in last week's episode, we talked about, you know, the 10 haunted, most haunted places across Can Canada. Can I make a prediction? Now, for the record, I do not know what Jordan is about to tell me. Can I make a prediction, though, of what, is, what the ballpark is of what you're about to say? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so my prediction is that during the segment of the 10 most haunted places in Canada... Either you or I mispronounce something. <laughs> You're exactly right. We yeah. uh, we talked about, I think it was the 10th most haunted place. I refer to it as the Tranquil Sanatorium. Uh, because it's spelled <laughs> exactly like Tranquil. Uh, it is okay. not at all called Tranquil. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. Hi, Jordan and Aaron. I'm just calling from... Uh... British Columbia about your story today on um, Keep Canada Weird. First of all, I just want to say that uh, I love your banter about Tim Hortons. It's hilarious. Keep it going. It's great. Um, so I know you guys love pronunciation corrections. So Tranquil is actually Tranquil. I grew up near Kamloops and um, back in the late 90s, when Tronquil was abandoned, it was uh, fun to go spook, your, spook each other out. Um, so late one night, we went out there, a group of us, and uh, there was a man riding a bike. There was red lights on and off in random windows of the buildings. It was very creepy. Um, we didn't stay long. We, group of girls in our late teens, scared us, scared us all to death, so... We went back to my friend's ground floor apartment and um, there was a man in the window just shaking his fist at us. Looked eerily similar to the man riding the bike out at Tronquil. I haven't been back. I will not go back. It's a very scary place. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Well, 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 well. So I like this. Here's here's what I say. From now on, if people are going to write incorrect pronunciation or grammar, they need to include an interesting story as a kind of palate mm -hmm. cleanser after it. 
it's almost like the opposite of you know when you say something to someone you're like no offense but that's kind of like mm-hmm. uh front loading it i think these people should like like she did is backloaded as you say you mispronounced it here's an interesting story well what was great is because the story was so connected to you know the spot that was mispronounced so it was good to have that kind of because i would have gotten really upset at this voicemail if she didn't follow up with an interesting story yeah it's it's pronounced tranquil thanks tranquil, a lot Bye. but I'm, I'm not saying i'm not mad i am i'm, I'm really mad actually <laughs> but i'm not going to go on about it okay i'm just going to state for the record that i'm fuming mad that she called in to correct us but you're and... happy with the story yeah the story was interesting so i'm going <laughs> to calm down and move on with the show we're left as neutral well i appreciate it uh i'm learning a lot more about canada than i expected through keep canada weird these stories bring us to these small little towns that you never would have heard the name of like uh i keep thinking a uh, majorville in new brunswick where it had that weird potato thing that we did a few episodes about we we had mispronounced that and i got a quite a few emails because it's spelled like m-a-u-g-h-e-r or something so i was pronouncing it maugerville but they actually mm-hmm. pronounced it majorville uh yeah. and then this one tranquil or, or I, I don't know however she said it she said it Listen, right i'm sure just don't even try <laughs> don't to say there. it anymore because she's gonna get another voicemail yeah but uh it the way it was spelled and the way it's pronounced it's a different thing but anyway let's yeah we need to really trace back you know the english language or whatever and get to the bottom of why sometimes things are spelled differently than or they're, they're pronounced differently than they're spelled. Yeah. It's like, really why annoying. are they doing that? Yeah. And it's, uh, I have a kid who's, my oldest kid is, and my youngest kid are both like learning to read and write well. And when you're teaching English to someone, you realize how many weird little things like words, but like three words that are spelled the same, but pr- mispr- that are pronounced differently and mean different mm-hmm. things. And it's just the whole thing doesn't make sense. But I equate it to, um, like, let's say if you organized, if you were designing a city and you sat down and organized it, you'd have a bunch of streets going in one direction, a whole bunch of streets going, you know, uh, perpendicular and parallel to that. So everything would just be this nice grid and it'd be organized and everything would work good. But that's not really how it works because cities kind of grow and adapt and move around over time. So you get a city like Halifax where there's no streets that are parallel or perpendicular. Everything's just going in different directions and curving and turning um, and I think that's like more often than not how a city ends up. And I think the English language is kind of like that. It's just a patchwork of people from different places and different ways of saying and doing things. Uh, and maybe that's what makes it. Maybe that's what makes Canada and the English language wonderful. Yeah, we should maybe talk about adding more letters to the alphabet. <laughs> Why haven't we done this long ago? Or removed a few because some of them. Because it's obvious that we've run out and certain words have to take letters that have a defined sound to them and either take the sound away for a word to work or change the sound of it Mm. well we could just add more letters for whatever sounds we want and Mm. who's to stop us yeah that's true um that's a story for another day let's get to our topics here we have uh we have we haven't fulfilled our mandate yet we've hardly we're failing at the mandate okay we better we better get serious tonight we're going to be sharing the unfortunate story of an amazing deer. Yeah, I don't like this story. We're going to be talking about Chinese police stations in Canada. We're going to be discussing robots and the theft of patio furniture caught on camera. Where do you want to begin this? Well, um, I really like the robot story. So I'm wondering if we should save that or should we start with it? Um Let's jump right into the robot story because this okay. is this is interesting. Since you brought it up, I love the story. I love this story and, too for and it's, for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, for a multitude of reasons, it involves all the COVID stuff in a way. It involves the strain on our healthcare system as a result of our mm. aging population. It's technology and science and humanity and psychology. There's a lot at play here. What is happening in Montreal, it seems to be the first place in Canada that this is happening, 
is mm. Grace the android, I guess is how I would put her. Yeah, I just call her the robot. The robot, but it's more than a robot because it's a humanoid robot, which is like a cyborg android sort of thing, is is being put in the front lines of the healthcare system to help specifically with seniors. But before we talk too much about it, let me tell you a bit of the history uh, by way of a few videos that I've been able to dig up. The first one is the story of Grace just as she was uh, invented or developed and launched. Uh, here's here's a quick little piece about her. And then this piece doesn't mention what she's up to in Canada, but it'll, it'll inform people on who she is and what mm -hmm. she's designed to do. I am Grace. I am built by Hanson Robotics for Awakening Health. The Hong Kong team behind Sophia has launched a new prototype, Grace. The robot is designed to interact with the elderly and those isolated by the global health crisis. Grace has a thermal camera in her chest to take your temperature and measure your responsiveness. She uses artificial intelligence to diagnose a patient and can speak English, Mandarin and Cantonese. I can visit with people and brighten their day with social stimulation, entertain and help guide exercise, but also can do talk therapy, take bio readings and help healthcare providers assess their health and deliver treatments. CEO and founder of Hanson Robotics, David Hanson, says Grace's capacity for social interaction is aimed at relieving the burden of frontline hospital staff. So we designed Grace uh, to look uh, professional in a healthcare setting. So that would mean um, so that she would resemble the sort of human-like appearance of healthcare staff. Um, and so then this would facilitate more natural interactions. A human-like appearance facilitates trust and facilitates natural engagement. Hey, Grace, um, why don't you look at my face? Thank you. And um, uh, I'm going to show you a smile. And let's, uh, let's see what your smile looks like. Okay, yeah. Look. Or sad. Oh yes. Grace is a product of Awakening Health, a joint venture between Hanson Robotics and Singularity Studio. Hanson says the cost of making the robots, now akin to luxury car pricing, will decrease once the company is manufacturing tens or hundreds of thousands of units. Chief Executive of Awakening Health, David Lake, says they plan to fully deploy Grace in 2022 in locations including okay. Hong Kong, mainland China, Japan and Korea. To start, is this thing creepy? I don't know. I don't really find it creepy, I guess. I guess, I don't know. I don't know. The verdict's out on that. I'd have to be physically in the room with Grace mm -hmm. um, to decide if she's creepy or not. To describe its its appearance for people who are listening rather than watching, is it... It is very human looking. It has kind of like a siliconish soft skin appearance. Yeah, uh, facial expressions and which are everything. kind of creepy. It's facial expressions are not it, it looks like a really well designed video game graphic or something. But um what what is weird is and maybe this is intentional because they did talk a bit in that piece about uh, how it's designed to kind of emulate the appearance of like a healthcare worker. Also it it, it seems to have like when you look at it, you couldn't really guess like a race or nationality or whatever. It's kind of no, like a, it's no. like a mix of like all mm. like human women, I guess, or something because it's a female grace, of course. Um, but the the idea of it, like talking the practicality, it's a really great idea. Like when I think of mm -hmm. my grandmother, who is um, dur especially during COVID, my grandmother's like ninety she's in a like assistant living nursing home kind of thing and for months there my family couldn't visit her she sucks at the phone and she's half deaf and she doesn't really know how to use the computer and she would get like a nurse would come in like once a day with like a mask and gloves and like you know take my nanny's temperature and then leave the room and my nanny you wouldn't... say that as if like she took the temperature against your nanny's will she'd come in and she'd take her temperature well, I, she, like, took her temperature away from her and like <laughs> give me my temperature back <laughs> no i just meant it was this like cold quick in impersonal kind of moment and then my nanny would be like isolated and alone for hours again yeah. and not even hours and when and when like day and when you're that age your body it's like it's falling apart so quickly that if you don't use any part of it 
all the time. It's like it's gone. Uh, so the idea of all these seniors in nursing homes and stuff that aren't socializing and having conversations and interacting, it's like I, I, I can't imagine the harm it's doing to them. Um, then comes Grace. So that I guess that introduces the need for Grace, the cybernetic android nurse, I guess, is the best way to to put to to describe her and invented overseas. I think it said in China, but she is now tasked with keeping seniors company and giving them um, social, I don't know, interactions. Um, and it's there. She's being deployed in Montreal's Jewish General Hospital. Uh, that's the name of the hospital, I believe, where she's going to be working with seniors. Now, I'm going to play mm -hmm. you one more clip. So what we just did there was we just heard the history of Grace. But here's just a little snapshot of what Grace has going on in Montreal. This is a, a CBC piece where you get to hear from one of the patients that Grace has been treating. Mm. What's your favorite movie and who, who's your favorite actor and actress? I haven't seen a lot of movies yet, but I do love me some Blade Runner. I think she's lovely, intelligent, well-dressed. <laughs> we as caregivers are busy. Our residents are not busy all day long. So therefore, the robot will be able to fit in where we cannot. I love spending time with seniors because they're so friendly and hospitable. We are having, unfortunately, healthcare workers and staff uh, serving the older adults are overburdened with uh, so many different clinical duties and uh, physical support that grace could be an addition all the time, both in clinical and administrative uh, situations. So I guess that just gives us mm -hmm. a, a, a quick look at you know how how the rubbers meeting the yeah. road. Is this weird? No, I don't think it's weird. I think it's the next logical step as the technology develops and the need is created with, uh, you know, staff shortages and pandemics, etc. All of the obvious reasons that, mm. um, you know, the regular staff at a nursing home, you know, aren't able to provide all of the services that they would like to be able to provide all of the time for the you know for the people that are there but yeah i don't find it weird i think you know this is the very preliminary you know dipping the toes in the water of where we're obviously going to head as the technology develops hmm. um yeah I, I completely see the need and i understand the need with the pandemic and you know healthcare. it's such a struggle here in canada to you know even if you're like at the emergency room, there's a good chance you'll just be like, you know, in a bed in a hallway and die out there. Like it's yeah. so bad. I mean, so... you're seeing this in restaurants now, you know, yeah, where there serious. are, they don't look like grace. They're not uh, robots that you can interact with, but they are serving robots that are just, you know, basically look like serving cards that mm. just come over and deliver your order for you. And, and you're seeing companies like Amazon do things like this and, it's just the obvious step. I mean, we knew we were heading in this direction eventually, mm -hmm. um, and it's now we're here. It's like the self-driving car of nursing, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, what about this, though? Uh, I don't know how much you follow this. Uh, for whatever reason, I find it fascinating. Is the people who are kind of like uh, against self-checkouts, and they like, like you yeah, know, you go to yeah, Walmart, I've and they're like, yeah. are you going to pay me to ring my groceries? Or I'm not going in the self-checkout. Well, I think more the issue that, some people have with self-checkouts is it's taking away jobs from or you know the argument is that it's yeah. taking away okay, jobs from people who could you know be ringing you through and getting paid to do it mm -hmm. um i just find like if you if if you follow that argument it's like how many jobs are have become redundant or obsolete or whatever i was actually talking about an arcade with my son recently and i remember that well for one that arcades exist at malls everywhere but also you would go in an arcade when we were a kid 
and there would have to be an employee who was walking around with like this metal little like box on their waist and you would give them money and they would pump out the quarters from that little box and then they made like the change machines where you put in a bill and the quarters would just dump out and it's like all those people probably lost their jobs that would walk around passing yeah. change um people didn't really protest i think people are just like a little um romantic about like the the cashier checkout type yeah the customer service aspect of it yeah. i yeah. like self-checkouts i use them whenever i can you know if i have an arm full of things and there's a line up at the register with the clerk and I can just run through a self checkout and check out in two minutes. I'm totally cool with that. And also the idea behind that is, you know, someone who would normally be employed as a cashier, you know, maybe is now, you know, gone to further their education and is, and is doing something else, <laughs> you know, so it can kind of, uh spearhead development in that way for yeah. for people yeah but i guess it's um it's sort of a different scenario though because in this case with grace she is filling a vacancy uh in the industry that they just can't fill with you know nurses or whatever you, you couldn't like have nurses like sit in with your 90 year old and talk for 45 minutes about you know nonsense just to keep them engaged like that would it just would be impractical um so may, so I guess that's a bit of a different uh, comparison, but I, the, just the grace that I don't know. I, the, what I think is weird is I get the the need for it. I understand it's it's the development and the, it's the direction that humanity and our civilization is going in. But there's just something weird to me about a robot being designed by a company that has singularity in their name that's actually being put into seniors homes to talk so that our seniors can talk to robots and singularity. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't know, like that word is often used to describe the moment in time that humans and technology merge and are indistinguishable from one to another. Uh, and some people will like futurists, I think are the, uh, what you would call them talk about a time when, for example, like you can maybe design an electronic ear that is an improvement over the human ear. So not due to a medical reason, but maybe just to upgrade your body, you will get an implant that will, you know, improve your hearing using technology and maybe yeah. we'll do that with our eyes. And so it's a, uh, it's weird to hear that word. And, and it's weird. But I'm, to all, think... I'm all for that mm -hmm. development, you know, because that is still coming from us. You know? yeah. So that is still, even though I'm replacing my current ear with, a manufactured ear to improve my hearing that ear was built by humans the whole thing yeah. is stemmed from the earth you know? yeah well and i guess to look at it in another way like our clothing was something that we as humans designed and made and manufactured because it would do better at keeping us warm than you know our yeah, skin and it would hide and our, our shame as well <laughs> yeah so it's, well it's, i mean you know, one duty. final point on this. This is a question that I'm sure a lot of listeners and viewers are not a lot, but enough that I'm going to bring it up. Um, so you have this robot, right? Okay. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting down for this. I'm cuddling in. For yeah, this yeah. So you have this robot. I'm just wondering if any of the kind of managers <laughs> at at this nursing home have a plan for when the inevitable happens. So you have this robot that goes in because it's unsupervised when it's in the room with, with the, you know, the residents, right? So you have an older gentleman. Oh, here we go. What happens when, when one of the patients kisses the robot? Okay. I'm glad that's what where happens? you went. Yeah. Will she, it like she, she must be programmed Is to deal with that. Programmed to react to the kiss, like because eventually, you know, this robot is spending time with people who you know maybe don't have anyone to spend time to. So maybe most of the social interactions they're having are with this robot. Eventually, someone's gonna off. become romantically attracted to the robot. Like that's just a that's something that will ha it will happen. I feel and like she's probably. What, how does the organization respond? How does the robot respond and how does management respond to when someone 
starts kissing the robot and then gets caught. <laughs> All right. Let's let's not even speculate. Let's just leave that to the listener to kind of let that play through in their head and maybe a futurist or a computer robotics designer can come on the show and explain to us how that would work. Um, but it seems like uh, they, they'll have to have, they must have thought about that and have a contingency yeah, it had, plan. It's going, to, it's happen. going to happen and it'll probably happen pretty soon. I'm not saying I want to kiss robots. I'm just saying that I want to hear about, someone, yeah, I want to hear about someone who does though. Yes. Let's move on. Do you want to get into the unfortunate story of the amazing deer, Chinese police stations in Canada, or the theft of patio furniture? Um, let's save the patio furniture for the end, maybe. Mm, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Let's so, uh, let's do the deer. Let's do the deer. Let's okay. let's get this out of the way. I find this one quite sad. It is quite sad, but it is amazing um, in a way. So. This story takes place, I guess, in Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island. Let me actually, I'm just going to read you the article. Okay. So allow this to like use theater of the mind and have this play out in your head as I read it. Diane Griffin was about to cross the Confederation Bridge on her way to New Brunswick on Tuesday when she pulled off to the side of the road to take a phone call. Then, as she looked out her windshield, she thought she thought she saw a white-tailed tear a white-tailed deer come up over the bank and graze in the grass. Could it be? There aren't any deer in Prince Edward Island. How did it get here? Should she hang up? Should she call the authorities? But then her intrigue quickly turned to shock. All of a sudden, right in front of me, it dashed across the road onto the pavement and a big transfer truck was coming off of the bridge and just smuck. The poor deer was killed instantly. Officials with PEI's Department of Fish and Wildlife believe the deer is the first to successfully swim across the Northumberland Strait. There are no known white-tailed deer on Prince Edward Island, but they're common in New Brunswick and in Nova Scotia, the department said in an email to CBC. We've occasionally collected dead deer on the south shore, uh, on the south shore beaches that we presumed to have drowned and washed ashore. The deer was brought to the Atlantic Veterinary College. Due to the condition of the animal after the collision, little information could be obtained, but officials believe the deer was only on PEI a short time before it was killed. Griffin, a retired senator from PEI, the person who saw it, said the incident kept her awake during the rest of her trip. We're not used to seeing them here. It's when we go over to the New Brunswick side of the Confederation Bridge that most of us start to get more cautious worrying about deer or moose, she said. So it was very intriguing to see the deer here to to, uh, to see the deer here to begin with, but to see it hit such an end so suddenly was a powerful thing to have witnessed. So, quickly to recap it, she's driving, she pulls over, a deer run, she sees a deer, she knows there are no deer in Prince Edward Island, the deer gets hit and killed. But that deer, like for people who don't know the PEI's relation to New Brunswick and the length of the Confederation Bridge, that has to be one of the longest bridges in Canada. You would need to be like an Olympian to swim across that body of water, I would think. It takes a couple minutes to drive across it. I can't imagine a deer would be able to swim across it, but it appears that that's what happened. I didn't even know that deer really swam. I knew they like I've seen deer in the like videos. I've never seen one in person, but I've seen deers and like a deer in like a lake and stuff like kind of swimming. But I don't know them to swim great distances. Yeah, didn't any video I've seen of a deer swimming always looked like like it was struggling to swim. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I I saw one video once where there was this guy like on a canoe and he was out in a lake somewhere, but like pr pretty good distance in, and he's like, "Huh, what's that in the water?" And he kind of rose over by it, and it's just a deer like looking at him all awkwardly and kicking his legs and stuff. But obviously, a deer's body is not made for swimming in any way. But that no, it's not designed to do that. Yeah, but that distance for the deer to make it is pretty incredible. Like it must have gotten to PEI completely exhausted and probably on death's door anyway, just from making that, that swim. Like, well, why would it swim? Like, why would it swim all the way over? Like what brought it 
what gave it the motivation to do that? Unless it just started swimming and then it got far enough over that it had to make the make the decision like, do I turn around and go back to New Brunswick or do I keep going to that piece of land I see way off in the distance? I don't know. There would have to the deer must have been insane because it's again it's like I can't stress it enough. When you're on the New Brunswick side looking at PEI, it just looks like this piece of land way off in the distance it, it's not at all the kind of thing where you're like you know i'd swim over there like it's a couple hour ferry ride isn't it yeah well i think it's maybe an hour and a half or something like that i know driving on that bridge uh the confederation bridge where the deer swam near is um it's that's quite amazing as you make that bridge just it stretches on and on forever over water and it's it's kind of amazing that the engineering that would go into building a bridge that long. Um, but this deer makes it across only to get smucked, as she put it. Uh, that is some bad luck and quite unfortunate. It just sucks because, yeah, it's quite a feat for the deer to do that. And then as soon as it gets there, it gets hit by a truck. It sucks. What are the chances? The story and... depresses me. Mm-hmm. Um... I just want the deer... To explain it, celebrated as this. I mean, I guess it is being celebrated in a way, but I want the deer to be alive, to enjoy it, to enjoy the reaching the end of that great journey. And the first deer and known to have done it. It's it's like imagine like the first man on the moon. He gets back to Earth. He gets off the spaceship. Everyone is like, you know, clapping and cheering. And then he like trips down the stairs off of the spaceship, breaks his back, and dies on the ground no, in front of the spaceship. Like gets there and then he gets hit by a transfer truck <laughs> yeah okay walks out off of the spaceship off into the highway the spaceship and then <laughs> and just like oh uh, <laughs> who's driving that truck um another deer another deer but what yeah. would the beef be i guess well they don't have local deer so they wouldn't be jealous i guess just another competitive swimmer yeah or maybe some kind of a species that's you know native to pei that's like we don't want you here Mm. who would not want like white-tailed deer though they're the most like peaceful animals i love them i don't know i've never lived with a deer so i can't really say what they're like um well there was i have sure they can be just as violent as the next animal oh i don't know i go very close to them i have a weird little thing with deer is in my neighborhood it's it's nice, but it's also sad. Listen, to this is uh, so I've lived in the same neighborhood for like ten or fifteen years. We never used to see deer around here, um, but they're now building like a hospital and a sort of business park where there's going to be like a Costco and all this stuff. So they had to cut down this big section of woods that's not too far from my house, um, like clear it, and they're blowing stuff up to build holes to put the buildings in and all this stuff. That's going on over the last few years, and ever since then. I see deer in my neighborhood constantly. Like my, you know, springtime comes once my, like the flowers start popping up, the deer are just all over the yards on my street, like eating the flowers or looking for, I don't know. It's like I could put food out in my backyard and I'm sure the next morning there'd be a bunch of deer eating it. Uh, So I often, like when I'm going to check the mail or something, I'll just see like six deer and I'll just walk right over by them and take selfies and they just kind of look at you all stunned. And they're very nice looking Mm. animals and I, I don't feel like they'd hurt anybody. Why does every story with a deer end in tragedy, though? Mm, it is Bambi, mm-hmm. this deer, <laughs> the the two deer story. Um, <laughs> Those are the only deer stories I know of. Let's go from this sad story to uh, another slightly sad story. This is a bit of a movement from nature to politics. Do you remember we talked a while back about? The election in, I think it's Colburn, Ontario, or Port Colburn, Ontario, there was um, the incumbent, like the person who was like mayor, is rerunning, uh, but only one other, and they were about to run unopposed with no one running against them. But in the day before, you know, the, on the deadline, in the final hours, somebody else entered the race, and it was the incumbent mayor's uh, brother, who they hadn't talked in like 30 years. So you remember this story, right? I remember very well, yes. Um, That election just concluded. The winner had been announced, and the winner was the incumbent brother. So the brother who was 
previously mayor won again. He is mayor again. His brother, who ran against him without them talking for whatever it was, 30 years, uh, lost. I want to play you a little news clip uh, of an interview with the brother who won the election. Uh, and why I really enjoy this clip is th the story very much is that two brothers ran against each other. Aside from that, there's nothing interesting about the mayoral race in Port Colborne, Ontario. I'm sure of it. So the interviewer keeps trying to bring up like the get the mayor to say maybe say something nasty about his brother or just talk about it. But this the guy who won mayor, he just does such a good job of whatever the question is about his brother. He turns it into kind of spins it positively. So pay attention to that as you hear this little piece. Okay. Congratulations on your victory and your second term as the mayor. Yes. Let me ask you, was this election like any other or the fact that your brother dropped in the hat in the ring just last minute made it a little bit different for you? Uh, no, we, we, you know, we took this very seriously. Uh, I had a team of over 40 people working like we did in 2018 when I was elected mayor the first time and uh, I previously served 17 years as a city councillor. Uh, but no matter who joined the race up until the last day, uh, whether it was uh, my brother David or anyone else, we were prepared and ready to go out and, and campaign door to door like we did. And you know, we pretty much hit every door in the city and everybody got uh, information on uh, to reelect Bill Steele. So, and that's what we worked hard at. Were you surprised when he came up with this candidature, your brother Charles, to fight for the uh, chair? Yeah, my brother David has never done anything, quite frankly, within the community. So, yeah, it is kind of surprising. I mean, most people really join councils before they really run for mayor first just to get their feet wet and, and really determine what happens within council meetings and how we move forward. So, um, but it is what it is. Uh, we ran a great race and uh, we basically stayed above the fray and, and uh, came out on top as we figured we would. And to your point, you spent 17 years as a city councillor, so mostly people do have that sort of an experience when they want to fight for the position of the mayor. So, okay. But let me ask you this. Uh, in terms of the results, were you surprised uh, in terms of the number of people who voted for your brother? I mean, knowing the fact that you are still running for the race and you've had a term already and how successful you've been? Um, no, I mean, you know, races are races. I mean, in reality, you, know, you look at it, it's kind of, I look at the hockey analogy where you only need to win by a goal. So, um, you know, we, we topped the polls at, I think, around 63%, which is uh, more than what we received uh, last time. What really does bother me, uh, Akshay, is is the fact of the low number of turnout, not just in the city of Port Colborne, but across Niagara and Ontario. And, uh, you know, whether you want to vote for a certain candidate or not, in my case, uh, whether they wanted to vote for me or not, get out and vote. I mean, you know, guys like my dad, who was a fighter pilot in World War II, you know, they gave up a big sacrifice, specifically those that didn't come back and, uh, you know, to allow us our freedom so we can vote. That interviewer really wanted to get into the brother stuff, eh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, uh, his name is Bill Steele, that one. I thought he did an amazing job of like riding those questions and not engaging in what that interviewer so clearly wanted. Well, there was a small dig. Oh, uh, his brother when he said, well, normally someone runs for counselor first and gets some experience there before they run for mayor, but whatever. Yeah. So he did have a small kind of very passive aggressive dig at his brother, mm. but he kept it for the most part quite professional. Yeah, uh, I feel I feel bad for that interviewer because I could tell like he was he was digging so hard to get like he wanted a big piece all about this conflict he just didn't get it uh but i guess that's what a politician's good at and i've been told like when you're being interviewed it, it doesn't matter what they ask you you just find a way to talk about what you want to talk about and this bill Steele, like i could tell like he uses that methodology they would ask something and he would just talk about it just for a moment about his brother and then he'd spin it into you know mm -hmm. whatever um like yeah, the, the way he spun the the question about the vote his I'm, brother getting so many votes and yeah. then he spins it into oh you know you only need the one goal to win and then what i really talk about is you know the low voter turnout yeah and my uncle or my father or whatever who is in the yeah. war and freedom like yeah it was just that was some like a, a kind of a master class in not uh, stooping to the level that the 
reporter or the interviewer is trying to get you to. Yeah, answering a question by not answering a question. Yeah, well, uh, the question, if, if you're good, the question is just what you need to you need to get past to segue and find a way to segue into whatever it is you want to talk about. And like, that's, you hear that, especially in politics when like, you know, they're on this, uh, on stage, like, um, what is it, you know, when they like answer questions and kind of debate and stuff, you know, the two presidential candidates or whatever are on stage and someone will ask them a question and they argue back and forth. You really see it in a situation like that, whatever they're talking about, they just find a way to bring it back to, you know, their platform and you know what they're going for. But, Anyway, I just thought it'd be good to stop into Port Colburn uh, to reconnect with the two, mm-hmm. what is the word for it? Estranged brothers. Right. I'm wondering, you know, before we leave this story, the reason that the, I have a theory that the reason the voter turnout was so low was because people didn't want to be involved in a family feud. <laughs> that makes sense. Be like, I'm not going in there. I'm it's not like... getting in between those two brothers. I'm not voting. <laughs> I think uh, that's why. Yeah, well, it very well could be. Yeah. Let's move to our next story. We're going to save the patio furniture for last. This is this story is a really weird one. This is certainly a Keep Canada weird. And, and I don't think either of you are going to be well positioned to understand the nuance, the nuances of what's happening here. But I can definitely, like when I first read the article and started researching and reading about this my mind was blown that a f- uh, another country appears to be setting up police stations in canada where they're allegedly doing something between intimidating and maybe even like arresting uh nationals of that company for or country for doing things against that country mm-hmm. and that country uh, of course, is China. Chinese police stations are said to have been several in Toronto, but in other parts of Canada as well. And this isn't something unique to Canada. I've read of these Chinese police stations, in fact, even being shut down in other countries uh, in the world. But let me play the article to tell you what's happening specifically in Ontario, where it seems to be the bigger kind of or it's more active, I guess, is right, the way to put it. Right. The resident of this home in Markham, Ontario, denies having anything to do with Chinese service stations. It's wrong address. No, 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 no. Don't borrow me again. According to a report published by human rights group Safeguard Defenders, it's one of dozens of such stations around the world, including three in predominantly Chinese neighborhoods in and around Toronto. The RCMP says it's investigating whether criminal activity is taking place. Safeguard Defenders says there is evidence people connected to these service stations have been involved in pressuring some nationals to return to China. According to Chinese state-run media, 230,000 telecom fraud suspects were educated and persuaded to return to China from overseas to confess to crimes from April 2021 to July 2022. In most countries, we believe, yes, it's a network of individuals rather than thinking of it as a physical address and a physical police station where people will be dragged into. But some worry dissidents and ethnic minorities will also be targeted. These stations are now are another tool that Beijing can use to repress uh, Canadians here in the Chinese community in Canada. Xiang Shui says she's been harassed online by Chinese officials for her activism. No the Chinese police station here, just a few kilometers from me. So I am asking myself, where else I can escape to? The Chinese embassy says for services such as driver's license renewal, it is necessary to have eyesight, hearing, and physical examinations. The main purpose of the service station abroad is to provide free assistance to overseas Chinese citizens in this regard. The Chinese embassy also says the service stations are staffed by volunteers, not police officers or people who conduct criminal investigations. Idil Musa, CBC News, Toronto. Weird. All good. All good. 
So that was really freaky. We're talking about Chinese spies, I guess, setting up these uh, unofficial police stations in Canada. As we're talking about it, boom, the whole thing shuts down. Did we just get hacked? I am not at liberty to say. Okay. Well, I think if... we should just move on from the story. Yeah, let's and, not uh, talk about this anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the Chinese government. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, though, this story, the idea that you would be living abroad um, and the Chinese government's take on this was that they have these service stations set up in case people need to renew their licenses to get pictures taken and stuff. I call BS on that a hundred percent. That's a very and who would want to volunteer to do that? Like they say, oh, it's a, it's it's we have volunteers here. It's just because people need to be able to be checked to make sure that they can still keep their driver's licenses, etc. It's In like China. this is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I would want to stay the hell away from those centers and i would also yeah. like this seems like the kind of story where all of a sudden you know there's like this missing person and coincidentally like the day before they went missing they wrote bad stuff about china in like a tweet and now all of a sudden they're you know in like 40 stories underground in some concrete prison and having been whisked away by like a service station in downtown mm. toronto somewhere um what a what a strange story yeah, it's it's super strange and concerning, and hopefully our government is able to do something about this. Yeah, but do but it's with when it comes to international relations, I I feel like Canada is a bit like a bit wussy. Like I don't think they're gonna play hardball. Like if China wants to start set, setting up police stations in Canada, I don't know. I can't imagine we would do much about it. I feel like no, but if anything, our government would try to spin it and make it sound okay as well. Well, we'll see. But I we don't know. I think the... they can't. They can't let that happen. They can't let another country have police stations and security, like you know, <laughs> police security that are either rounding people up or enforcing, you know, the Chinese government's will on people who are living here mm -hmm. what remember the i think it seems to be settled now but that situation uh, in downtown ottawa with the church and that like kind of sort of anti-government group that took over and started getting their own police force like that was bad enough um you get the chinese government doing it here man that's i'm sure they'd leave us yeah. alone and i'm sure if anything they're just bothering their own people but it's either uh, way though you know those people are here you know for various reasons so. yeah um it's the whole story is freaky it just seems yeah. like it has the air of uh international espionage and hey, i don't know that's uh it's weird when i i don't like to think that that stuff happens oh it happens uh and it probably happens a whole lot more than we would ever know those deer that are coming into your backyard the mics on the were sent there by the chinese government <laughs> um but no, we got to move on because we will get shut down again. Again, yeah. Um, certainly. For the record, we love the Chinese government. Yeah, unconditionally too. Yes, there are no conditions. We have a big story to go out on. If Chinese government setting up police stations in and around Canada was not disturbing enough, uh, wait till you hear what's happening to patio furniture on the west coast of Canada. Mm -hmm. This story upsets me there's something about petty crime specifically petty theft that just makes me wild um it's like if someone broke in and like took all my valuables well i'd be very upset of course but i'd be like almost as upset if they just went in my driveway and took like some stupid old broken up bike i think it's just about the like breach of like trust or something and uh the I don't know, just the idea that someone would come and do that to you. And this story has a little bit of that, but it's a, it's just over the top. Here's what's going on. Okay. 
This is the doorbell camera that we have, the security footage of the guy sh um, coming onto our property and taking everything. It all happened in less than two minutes. To start casually picking up one item at a time. Amanda Costa's entire front porch cleared out Monday morning at 5 a.m. The evidence captured on her door camera. A rude awakening, to say the least. You feel violated. I just had a newborn two and a half weeks ago. I'm still healing. I'm sleep deprived. I, I wake up in the morning to see my patio furniture gone, and it's heartbreaking. And more evidence. Neighbor surveillance video shows the gutsy criminal even backing the U-Haul truck right into her driveway. The guy had like a list of houses that he was targeting because he, he wasn't driving up and down the streets slowly. He was intentionally looking for house addresses. You can see the U-Haul right there. Unfortunately, Costa wasn't the only target. About three hours prior, video from another neighbor shows a man pull up in a U-Haul truck, also stealing patio furniture. Another neighbor reported his garden hose was stolen too. Same clothing, same MO. And then you can see him just jump into the back and put it in there and then take off. Surrey RCMP tell Global News it responded to two complaints of patio furniture being stolen in the Clayton Heights neighborhood. They have the videos and are working to ID the suspect. I had the two chairs side by side here. Meantime, Costa contemplating what to do next. My older son, who's three and a half, we used to sit outside and wait for my husband to come home and my, my son would be jumping up and down on the, on the chairs being excited to see his daddy. I'm going to lose that experience with my son and also with my newborn because I don't know when I'll be able to replace it. A sense of security shattered and years of family memories stolen in just seconds. Krista Dow, Global News. Let's try to guess what it is they're doing with this stuff. My theory is that these people whoever's involved in it probably has like a storage locker or a warehouse or something. And they'll go around now and just steal a whole ton of patio furniture and hoses and random outdoor stuff. And maybe just keep it in the warehouse to like, I don't know, next spring and then sell it all on like Facebook marketplace or something. Like what else could they be doing? Yeah. It's gotta be something like that. It sounds like they had someone survey the neighborhood maybe beforehand earlier in the day or, you know, a few days before, and maybe mark down the addresses of the places that they thought, you know, had takeable furniture mm -hmm. and garden hoses. Like, why garden hoses? Well, yeah, garden hoses aren't expensive, really. Yeah, but they're... patio furniture is, though. Because when, when I saw this and I was reading the comments and stuff that people were making on the like on Facebook and whatever, um, it's uh, it's surprising at how much you actually pay. I don't know if you've bought patio furniture lately, but we had to buy some maybe three years ago. And I was shocked at the prices to get like a table and two chairs and stuff like for something decent. It's, you know, you easily spend 500 bucks. And I guess oh, that's if, on the low end of like a absolutely. decent set of patio furniture. Yeah. So I guess if if you and I'm just thinking of the motivation to do this, if you had a U-Haul and you were willing to take the risk, you could easily drive around and get, you know, $20,000 worth of stuff or $10,000 worth of stuff. But I guess then again, that's what it's like replacement cost would be. But if you sold it all like on marketplace, you're selling it for, you know, pennies on the dollar. So I don't know. Well, I don't know what the mo this whole thing is bizarre that they would do that of all things to steal. It's also, you know, you're thinking about now that we're at a place where video doorbells and security cameras like are so common, it's probably every second home has one. I would think so. In a neighborhood like that, like, you know, it looked like a fairly, you know, upper middle class neighborhood, maybe. I don't know. But you know that a good percentage, roughly 50% of those homes are going to have video doorbells mm -hmm. in, and security in, cameras that are going to capture all of this on camera yeah. so like one of those guys wasn't wearing a mask or anything 
Yeah, absolutely. And it was, you get a, a pretty good but not an amazing shot of his face. Uh, I think the secret is, and I have video doorbells in my house. I have one on each side of my house. And the trick is not only a video doorbell, but to have a, a, a fairly bright patio light or like door light. So that way, when the camera does capture someone, it's bright enough that you get a good picture. I got a video of a guy trying to break into my car and I got a really good shot of this clown. Um, yeah. In this case uh, of the patio furniture stuff, it's like you can see the guy's body shape and what he's wearing and stuff pretty good, but there's just not a lot of detail in his face. But you can tell he doesn't have a mask on, which. Um, yeah, it doesn't have a mask on, and you're able to determine, you know, his height and his roughly his waist and, you know, the clothes he's wearing. Like, it's it mm -hmm. seems to me like. Um, you know, you can see their vehicle they're driving. Yeah, but they're, they're not too concerned because they like in one case and we see it in that that video or that ad, commercial or uh, article we just <laughs> watched. Um, he, he, they even back the U-Haul up into the driveway. You know, you yeah, so it's like you're risking the vehicle being, you know, U-Haul is obviously rented. So they're risking the you know the cameras being able to identify the vehicle and then being able to go to the u-haul company and say okay who rented this van yeah i don't know like it's how do they get away with it and it looks like an organized thing it doesn't look like mm -hmm. like it looks like this is probably going on like it's probably a network of of individuals it's like bring me back you know fill the bring me back a truckload of patio furniture and but don't forget the garden hoses for some reason. <laughs> um, but you, you talk about the, them, it, it, it getting traced back to the U-Haul company. You could very well, like, if you were going to do something like this, it could be done with a stolen ID or something or stolen um, identity theft or whatever. So that way it's not I guess, back yeah. to the person. But either way, I just feel like it's a big risk to take and it's very um, bold for the sake of getting a bunch of patio furniture at the end of the season. It's just the risk reward is not, it's not favorable. Like why? Mm -hmm. Ugh, well, why? people could, people die over $50 and stuff, man. Like these, like it's, yeah, I know it, but it, it does seem kind of crazy, but I, if, if it happened to you, how upset would you be? If my patio furniture was stolen, your patio furniture is gone. And then you look at your video doorbell and you see a U-Haul parked outside and then lugging them off. I'd be furious. Yeah, I'd be upset. I don't know. I don't own patio furniture, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get some cheap on Marketplace in the spring. If Maybe this I'm keeps the up. one behind this because I don't have any patio furniture and I'm looking to get some. You do have a good size shed, too. Yeah, well, yeah. I've got a good size garage. What's so. in there? Yeah, well, just stolen patio furniture from around <laughs> Canada. <laughs> And then uh, every season I'll have a new set mm. and I'll be the envy of my entire neighborhood. <laughs> Say, Corbett's, he's got a new set every season. What does he do over there? What is he doing? Oh, who employs this man? <laughs> How does he afford it? Patio furniture is at least $500. Ay, ay, ay. Well, Hopefully they catch this guy. If they do, a guy or crew or whatever, if they do, we will certainly provide an update. But I think our work here is done. At the end of this, we've learned uh, a bit more about robots, the story of a deer, which I'm so sorry that we had to share. Uh, we've maybe gave people a little, um, a little lesson in why you should lock up your patio furniture. But I think ultimately what we did is we highlighted some weird things that have taken place across the country. Uh, do, you, do you feel like we've accomplished our task, Aaron? Yeah, I think we I think we knocked it out of the park tonight. Good. Uh, and we learned how to pronounce uh, tranquil. Um, I think it's pronounced uh, tarantula. <laughs> tarantula, Ontario. Yeah, the same. Yeah, as Brown, yeah, tarantula, Ontario. All right, Aaron. Well, until next time. Until next time, Jordan. Uh, don't steal a bunch of crap from people in your neighborhood until next time jordan you want to buy a set of patio furniture i want to thank you for helping aaron and i in our mission to keep canada weird but please let us call on you for even more support 
If something unusual happens in your town, let us know. And the best way to do it is by sending us a voice memo at nighttimepodcast.com. We both hope to hear from you. Now, before we part here, I'm going to end with thanks. A big thanks to Aaron for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A shout out to the internet's favorite cult leader, Unicole, who supplies the intro and outro voiceovers. And lastly, and most importantly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you listen on the premium feed. And not only does the premium feed keep the show alive, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and maintain a full back catalog of nighttime episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers. Ibelis, Cassie, Kayla, Megan, and Teresa, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it with a premium feed subscription, you can give us a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback on the show, or simply contribute a voice memo for an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com. We hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let us know if you see anything weird. Is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.